0: So we meet all kinds of people in life. With some, we make just minimal connections. Maybe uh, the people that you might meet at a Little leagues game, and it's like you meet them and maybe you get to know their name, but it's just a minimal connection. Or maybe someone that you meet at Dunkin' Donuts and they hand you your coffee, and like you see them on kind of a recurring basis, but it's not like you have a great opportunity to talk about all the problems in their life, right? They just just kind of have this very minimal connection. Then there are others that there are recurring times together, maybe at work or at school. You have people that you're with for several hours in the day and you start to develop a little bit more of a deeper relationship with them. And then there's another group of people in life that we make deeper connections with. Um, You can think about maybe some deepening relationships that happen as maybe you go through basic training together or you're part of a small cohort through a college program and and you're you're kind of facing the same challenges day in and day out together and it tends to forge within you and that other person uh, more of a relationship, more friendship because you're experiencing uh, similar things. And then even still deeper, um, there's another layer or level of deepening relationships when you pass through the valley of the shadow of death with someone. Um, You were there in the moment's deepest and darkest uh, challenges. And when you walk through those challenges with another, um, there is a a lifelong bond that can result from that because in their greatest moment, they had someone that they could rely upon and confide in. Those are important Matters, And we all need those kinds of deepening, lasting relationships. So ministry can be a lonely place if it's not shared. Pastors and missionaries can sometimes put unreasonable, unbiblical uh, pressure on themselves that results in having no personal, close relationships. And Paul is going to demonstrate to us this morning in Romans chapter 16, that he did not fall into that trap. The trap of being, I've got this. All of you peons can go through what you're going through, but I've, I've got this all by myself. He's going to demonstrate that there is more to ministry in life than just them and me. He demonstrates that there's this unity, this forging of relationships, this deepening of, uh, rich relationships that offer, are offered through ministry. So the ministry of the Gospel and church life provide a perfect setting to develop rich, eternal relationships. And again, Paul's going to demonstrate that. You know, you come. You, 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 I'm preaching through the book of Romans and it's been a couple of years now that we've been going through this on and off. And I don't think there are many people that when they set out on their sermon schedule planning, they say, I can't wait to get to Romans 16, 1-16 and talk about, greet these people's names that I'm going to (laughs) butcher terribly. They don't care, those people that I'm about to butcher their names, they don't care because they're in glory. Um, If I butcher your name, maybe you'll care. And um, certainly if I butcher your name, please tell me because I don't want to do that to you. But this list of people is going to demonstrate something for us. Um, They're written... 2,000 years ago, nearly, that this was written. And their presence here indicates a number of things to us. Number one, that they're real people. He wrote this letter to a real group of people that had real names. They were alive. It's a historical letter or a document. In addition to that, if they're people, that means they had the same kinds of problems that we have. It may be different. They don't have to worry about whether there's air conditioning or not because there was no air conditioning. But the problems at the base of human existence and human experience were there for them. They are going through these things as well. So these first 16 verses of chapter 16 are going to demonstrate to us something about relationships. And I want to talk about it in segments. Normally I read the whole passage and then then we start to break it down, but not with this one. We're just going going to deal with each section Uh, individually, the first concept that we want to understand from this is that relationships provide. There are relationships that provide. And we see that in the first person named in this letter's conclusion. Verse 1 of Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul gives his commendation to the likely letter carrier. So he wrote this letter, 16 chapters for us. To him, it was this one book, uh, not broken up into chapters and verses, and he he entrusted it to Phoebe. She was going to carry this letter from Sancria, which is uh, quite a distance from Rome, and she's going to deliver it. And, and with that entrustment that he gives to her, he says, I want to make sure that the people that receive this letter know that I've entrusted this letter to you, that someone that I didn't entrust it to didn't arrive with it and maybe mess with it. I gave it to Phoebe. She's a trustworthy servant of God and a servant of the church. She's going to deliver that letter to you. That means you'll know that what's written there is the authentic word that I have conveyed to you. So Phoebe uh, seems to have been a deaconess in the church of Sancria. We're not going to get into the details of that. That's for uh, another time to talk about those things. But she was a servant of the church there in Sancria. Now, remember, the office of deacon in the Bible is that of a ministry of service. So perhaps she was leading the way in uh, maybe mercy ministries. Think about what a mercy ministry is. You know, a person becomes aware of someone's need. They don't have enough food. And so someone rises to the occasion and they start Meals on Wheels for them, right? They start a, a meal train. I'm gonna I'm gonna prepare you a meal, and I'm gonna I'm gonna work with this family, and they're gonna set up bring a meal over to you. So there's this this concerted effort. But Phoebe took the lead in that kind of a ministry. Maybe you find out someone is without housing, and they come, she comes alongside of them. I want to make sure that that there's provision for you. And so there's she's networking with people and 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 leading the way and serving others. You know there are three related Greek words in here. Everyone loves talking about Greek words. Um, so I'm going to do that for you. Uh, three related Greek words. The first one is at the beginning of verse 16, she, he, uh, Paul says, I commend. Commend. The, the Greek word is paristemi, It means to stand for. I stand for Phoebe. I stand for her. Why? Well, in chapter, uh, verse 2, he says, I want you to welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and I want you to, see the next word, help her. There's another related word. Uh, there is par istemi. It's to stand for. Again, so I stand for Phoebe. When she arrives at Rome, I want to make sure that you stand for her. Well, why is that? Well, he says at the end of verse number 2, for she has been a patron of many and of myself also. Now, the word there is slightly different, but it's a related term. It's uh, prostatis. Sprotus, prostatus. It has the idea to stand with or stand for, again, or to provide for. So he uses the word patron in our translation. Um, in the King James, is a great word. Some of you know what it is. It's succorer. Everyone likes to a good succorer, right? Someone that comes alongside and helps and provides. Um, so we have patron in our, in our version. What is the idea? Phoebe found ways to make sure people that were lacking had what they needed. So Paul says, I stand for Phoebe when she gets there and I want you to stand for her because she is a supplier of all kinds of people's needs. This lets us know something about relationships. There are relationships where there are people that you come alongside and you know that they're for you. And it makes it easy to be for them. And the way that you know someone is for you is not because they use wonderful words. They actually supply something. They provide something that you need. So Paul tells them to welcome her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of the saints and then to help her. What are they going to help her with? Well, if she's the letter carrier, it's possible that one of her responsibilities was not only to deliver this letter to the church at Rome, but then to make copies of that letter for other churches to have this same truth that was so vitally important. What is the truth she was carrying? Lots of data about how to be a good boy and good girl. That's not what the data is. It's about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we have life. She was carrying the contents in written form of God's provision of life to those that would come to Him through Jesus Christ. And so she was probably going to have to record that and then make copies and then distribute it. So the church at Rome needed to then be those that would come alongside of her for this large project. So help her. Can you tell in verses 1 and 2 that he's talking about relationships that provide? uh, I'm providing for Phoebe a good entrance by writing and commending her. I want you to provide for her because she's one who has brought lots of provision to others So there's an emphasis upon provision here. Now you know there are times in life, and maybe you've been through more than one of these, when you're really, really in a tight spot. And you're really, really hurting. And you feel really, really alone. And it seems as though no no one comes to your aid. We've all had that moment in our life and it's likely you'll have that moment again in your life where there's not any human that can provide for you what you desperately need in that moment of crisis. And this is where the good news comes because while this passage is talking about Phoebe's provision and the people's provision for her there's something much greater that we always want to bring our attention back to, and that is that when no one else stands for you, there's someone who will. When everyone else forsakes you, neglects you, or is unable to provide for you, there's someone who will not neglect you or fail to provide for you. Listen to these words from the book of 2 Timothy 4. It'll be on the screens to my left and right. At my first defense, Paul writes, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But look at, look at this next phrase. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it So I was, what does it say? Rescued from the lion's mouth. That's just a figurative expression. Kind of brings our mind back to the book of Daniel when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and he was there all by himself except maybe with a few hungry lions. Here I am. What do I do? Uh, There's no stick to shove in between their, their teeth to hold them up. You know, you could see that in a cartoon. These are real lions with real teeth that are really hungry. Daniel's thrown into that lion's den and yet God rescued him. And Paul says, this is my experience. There I was. Everyone left me. I'm standing in judgment. They're ready to take my life. No one stood with me. But there was one. There was one. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And you know, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you understand that you're a sinner and that God has provided for you redemption, forgiveness of sin, and eternal life, no matter what happens in this life, you will know this. He will stand with you and He will stand for you. That is a promise that He makes. So relationships provide. And there's no greater relationship that provides than the one that Jesus Christ offers to us. We move a little further in the text and we'll, we'll see this. There are relationships that lay it all on the line. Relationships that lay it all on the line. Look at verses 3 and 4 of our text. He says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So he introduces this couple, Prisca and Aquila. They're mentioned as Priscilla and Aquila in three occasions in the book of Acts chapter 18. And then in two other New Testament passages, they're called Prisca and Aquila. So they're mentioned six times in our New Testament. So they have somewhat of a prominent Presence in God's Word. It's like incredible. It's like none of us are going to be written there. But Presca and Aquila were. Now they they have done a number of things that are really incredible. They came along a man named Apollos. Remember Apollos? He was a, 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 a spokesman of the truth. And he was speaking eloquently, the Bible says. But when... Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos proclaiming there was something lacking in the content about Jesus Christ. So after he was done preaching, not in the middle of it, not while he was still speaking, you stand up and say, Hey, buddy, you forgot about this. None of that. Waited till it was over, and they pulled him to the side. And it says that they showed him the way of the Lord more excellently, or more thoroughly, or more accurately. The Bible tells us that they had a church in their own home. God calls them in this passage fellow workers in Christ Jesus. All of that's great. Their presence in the New Testament, the way they helped Apollos, having a church in their home, all that's great. But nothing quite speaks to the value of who Prisca and Aquila are like what Paul says here in this line. They risked their necks for my life. There are very few people that you're going to encounter in life that will lay it all on the line like that. But there are people. And God opens those doors through our common life in Christ where we see this is my brother. This is my sister. This is, this is deeper than blood. This is an enduring, rich relationship. This is an eternal relationship. This is, this is my life. Our life is a shared life. And that's what Presca and Aquila had seen in life. They had Come to the point in their lives that, that they saw Paul's life as, as valuable as their own. Now, maybe this comes from Acts chapter 19 as the setting is incredible. Paul is preaching in, in, uh, in Ephesus, and the ministry in Ephesus was changing people. People were coming to recognize that Jesus is everything and that all the little gods that they used to worship were not real. And so they took all of their sorcery books and they burned them in a big giant fire. And then they started to take all their little idol things that they used to worship and kind of hold as their little safety net. And they they stopped buying them. And so someone among them said, hey, uh, I want to point this out to you. If we're not careful, this guy who was a silversmith, they're going to stop buying all our little idol trinkets. And if they stop buying all of our little idol trinkets, we're not going to have any money left. So there was an uproar that starts. A revolt, a riot it's called in Ephesus. And Paul was going to go and enter the fray. Probably in that type of a setting is when, Paul, uh, when Prisca and Aquila held him back and maybe said, you, <laughs> you stay safe and we'll go deal with it. We don't know that. It's just supposition. But look at these words from Acts 19, verses 29 and 30. The city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let them. You know, I don't know. We don't know the rest of the story. We just have the little bits that God gives us one thing we can know, Paul is recounting something about a time when Prisca and Aquila said, we'll take the pain in your stead. They're not alone in that. The Bible records some others that are similar. Timothy is one who would um, naturally care for other states. And, and if you think about Luke, you ever think about Luke? He wrote one of the Bible books, two of them actually, Luke and Acts. right? But if you read the book of Acts, Everywhere Paul goes, Luke goes. And when Paul was coming to the very end of his life, and he said, he said to, the, uh, to Timothy in his last letter, he said, hey, um, so-and-so de- you know, got sick. This one departed from me. Please come to me. Bring the books. Bring the parchments. Bring a coat. Bring Mark. Only Luke is here with me. Poor Luke. It's only Luke. He's not enough. But the reality is, when you think about that, Luke was there. Through thick and thin. Talk about a person that's willing to put their neck on the line for you and for for Paul. Why were these believers willing to do that? You know, at the very heart of all that we treasure, we have received life from our God. Life that does not require... A beating human heart. We know at some point, all of our hearts will stop. Our human existence will come to an end. But God has invested in those who have come to Christ for salvation, a life that is beyond that human life dependent upon hearts and lungs and a brain that is operating. God has given us real, enduring life. And that's at the heart of what we treasure. This eternal life was secured for us by God Himself, Jesus Christ, when He laid down His life on our behalf. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that would lay down His life for you to gain for you what you could never gain for yourself. Well, the Bible tells us that we can have that kind of a friend. Let's suppose you have no earthly friends that close. I'll tell you about a a Savior. He loves you in a way that no one else can. No one else on this planet has the ability to love you with the capacity with which He can love you. He can love you, eternally human beings their love will stop at some point human love has only a earthly existence but the love that jesus loves with can save you and continue forever and ever there is no friend like jesus who can supply and provide and care for you like no one else can How does he save? How how do we enter into a relationship with Jesus where someone can lay their neck on the line for us and never withdraw it? The Bible makes it very simple. You know, we complicate things as people, but the Bible makes it very clear. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Would you mind uh, helping me out? Indulge me for a moment. Will you read that verse with me for a moment? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a reality, a promise from God. This is how we enter into that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ that can never be taken away. The passage goes on in Romans chapter 13 to talk about relationships based on common faith. Now, I'm going to have these things just listed all on the, the board at once, because um, there's just too much. It would take us a long time to, to, to take this long to go through every one of these names. I want to, to just list the next one, if you, if you guys could, up in the booth. There's our next set there. <laughs> and here's where I'm going to start butchering some names. In verse 5, we're introduced to this man named Apinetus. It's a great name. We're told he is the first convert in Christ in Asia. So Paul had this relationship with him. Who knows how long he spent with him? But in his writing of a letter, he says, I want you to, to, to remember Apinetus, this guy that's been saved for longer than I have. He's been saved, the first convert in Asia. Then there's Ampliatus. Uh, My beloved, he calls him in the Lord. My beloved. Agapetos is the word. It's a great Greek word. Someone who is my specially loved one. He goes on and talks about Stakes, my beloved. And then Apelles. You might say Apelles. There's a lot of different ways to say these names. Some of them are correct and some of them are incorrect. But I think Apelles is probably good. He calls him the approved in Christ. I want to think about Apelles. For just a moment. I think it's actually technically a palace, but at any rate, it says that he is approved in Christ. And he uses a great Greek word, it's dokimos. It has the idea of found approved after testing. Found approved after testing. And when I think of that, I start to think about Daniel chapter 5. Remember, they were having a party. Belshazzar was on the throne and he took all of the vessels of the temple that they had taken from Jerusalem and he put them into play for his little party. A lot of stuff's happening at this party of Belshazzar. And out of nowhere, a hand shows up and starts writing on the wall. And one of the elements of that writing is interpreted this way. It says, You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting of our own resources. That is exactly who all of us are. When we're weighed in the balances, we're found lacking. However, those who have come to know the salvation of God through Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. That we are accepted in the Beloved. We are approved in the Beloved. So of our own resources, we would be found lacking. But when we know who Jesus Christ is and we recognize that He is our life and He is our Redeemer and He is our salvation, He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes unto the Father except by Him. We, we have the approval of God. Found to be approved after testing. He moves on and talks about this man named Rufus in verse 13. It's a great name. Rufus. You should name something. A gerbil, a dog, a child. Rufus. Rufus is called chosen in the Lord. Why did he call him that? Well, because God Saved him. And he calls him the chosen. There's a lot more reasons we don't have time to get into. Verses 14 and 15 now takes this listing of believers. And here's where I'm I'm really going to have some fun. Ready? Verse 14. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patribus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Someone should clap after me saying those words. I think I didn't mess them up too badly. Thank you, yes. Why does he list all these people in verses 14 and 15? Because they all matter. Because they all matter. These are people that have been redeemed by the Lord, and they matter. Oh, there are the superstars. Everyone pays attention to them. And then there's the also-rans. Well, the also-rans matter too those who have been redeemed of the Lord. God has saved them. These are relationships that are based upon common faith. And then he moves on to those relationships that are based on common experiences. Uh, I've got another listing. I'll have them just uh, listed on the board here. Um, Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, well-known. They had this special, uh, outstanding, marked relationship. Now the, the next screen with Urbanus and Herodian. Triphena and Trifosa, Persis and Mary. All these people, he's listing them all. Uh, the emphasis in this group is these are either people that are of the same genealog- genealogical background, their fellow countrymen, their Jews, or they are those that worked in the ministry with him. So we've got this commonality, which leads us to one last category, which is relationships that bind us. Look at verse 5 for a moment. Greet also the church in their house. Very straightforward statement. Greet also the church in their house. Look down at verse 10. Uh, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Look down at verse 11. He says, greet my kinsmen Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. He's talking about these groups maybe that are meeting in churches. Little um, churches that are meeting in houses. Uh, look at these groups. These are people all that have a common faith. They're all joined together. They may be references to house churches. They might not be. But they're all under the spiritual leadership of the church in Rome. There's something amazing that God does when churches truly share their lives together. And that is He binds them together. For a couple of verses of Scripture will be on the left and right. In Colossians 2, God's Word says this. He speaks about Hearts being encouraged because their hearts are knit together in love. God does that. God's the one that knits people's hearts together. In Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 30, uh, verse 3, excuse me, it says um, that you, you should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is something that God provides. It's significant that God binds our hearts together in, in service for Him. I want you to point out one more verse of Scripture. In verse 13. Something about this guy Rufus. It says in verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother. Will you read the rest of the verse with me? Who has been a mother to me as well. Can you see there's something beyond like a surface relationship here? When someone else's mother is like your mother, You're you're talking about a deepening relationship that has has developed. And there's something that happened in the course of Paul's relationship with Rufus where their their lives were entwined together. How does this kind of thing happen? The Lord unites people. You know, and it's pretty funny, I think we're all pretty weird. Are you able to admit that about yourself, that you're weird? Like some of the people that I am best... Closest friends with, like if you take us outside of the things of the Lord and you think, how in the world does this work? How could, I, how could this person be the one that, that's such a friend to me? Our personalities are different, our interests are different, the way we go about everything is different, and yet God takes these people, all of us weird people, and He, and he, and he unites us together in a, in a really special way. It's a supernatural thing that God does. In 18 verses uh, excuse me, in, in 16 verses, there were 18 times they were told to greet these people, and they were actually told to do this publicly. It's, it's, it was, they're all in the, in the second-person plural. In other words, it's not just like, "Hey, make sure that you say this greeting to this person." It's "Church, greet this person." It's a, it's a, it's a public thing." And then he ends in verse 16. Verse 16 says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." All the churches of Christ greet you. The greeting is a general one. Uh, he says, you know, give each other a kiss, not, not a lingering one. <laughs> I, th- I think this might, this might come along the lines of the man hug. You know what a man hug is? It's kind of like you turn your shoulder into the other person. It's like a half hug, and that's not enough because we're guys. You've got to slap the other person. It's like a big pound on the back. It's a man hug. It's kind of one of those. Come along and everyone says, "Right, we're we're close, but only just so close. Greet one another with a a holy kiss. Uh, Some people go all their lives without having friends who share their their mother with them. People go their whole lives without having someone that lay their neck on the line for them. People go their whole lives without having someone that's looking out for their well-being that provides for them. We go whole lives without these common experiences. I want to invite you into a friendship offered by the people of God. And yet even the friendship that we offer will always still come up lacking to one extent or another. Because there's no human being who can bear the weight of all your needs. But I do know someone, on the other hand, I know a friend who is far more reliable who will never leave you or forsake you. Who knows all of your weaknesses, all of your failings, all of your sinfulness, and he will still love you. He'll still love you. It used to drive the religious crowds nuts, but Jesus is a friend of sinners. And for that, I am deeply grateful. Amen. And for that, I hope you are deeply grateful. Read a little book. We used to read it every night to our children. It was the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it, there's this constant recurring that Jesus is a friend of sinners like me. And I used to say to my son, Asa, Asa, aren't you glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners? I'm glad he's a friend of sinners. Because if he weren't a friend of sinners, he would be no friend of mine. See, Jesus can love you and be with you no matter all what is revealed about who you really are. You know this? He already knows. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, and he still laid down his life for you. That is real friendship that no one else can offer you. The Bible says in John 15 and verse 13 greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Maybe you don't understand how you can have a rich, eternal relationship with someone that you can't see. But I have this suggestion to you as we come to a conclusion. In the quietness of the next minute, maybe, silently, talk to God and say something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners please save me and help me to sense the friend that Jesus can be to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray together. Father, You know what we need. I pray, Father, that in this next moment, You might work Your work of redemption and encouragement and provision for us. Father, you hear the cries of each one, and where there might be a call for salvation, we pray that you would open eyes and hearts for true, lasting, eternal relationship with you through Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.